Good day to you, and welcome to the NPFCC Messages podcast. We're glad to have you back. Or if you're listening for the first time, thank you for checking us out. This week's podcast is a message from our series through the book of 1 Timothy. Throughout this series, we're going to examine just how critical the message of the gospel is for the church. And while this may seem obvious to some, the truth is it's easy to get distracted by the noise and the trends of this world and forget what's most important. So these messages aim to draw us towards keeping the gospel first in our lives and in the church. So be blessed as you listen to this word. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, as always, if you don't have a Bible, you know, you may have one on your phone, but there's, there's always, you know, paper copies. You know, I, I still can't, I love the, having the Bible on my phone, but I got to tell you, I, I just, I can't get away from the paper copy, right? And so um, if, you, uh, if you'll do that, just make sure you have a Bible, get to 1 Timothy chapter 4, that's where we're going to spend our, some time today. We're in week four of this series through the New Testament book of 1 Timothy that we've titled A Gospel-Centered Church. Just a, a quick, super quick overview of where we've been. We've learned that, the new, that this New Testament book was a letter. It was a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to his protege, young protege named Timothy, who he sent to pastor the church in Ephesus. Uh, we talked about how Ephesus was this very prominent city. It was a port city, a lot of activity in the Roman world. And it was also a pagan city. It was, it was a melting pot for all things philosophical and spiritual. And because of this, there was a lot of false teaching that had started to creep its way into the church. And Paul charges Timothy to root out the false teaching and ensure the church was anchored in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The central theme of the book was in the chapter 3 that we talked about last week, where in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul, he's telling Timothy, he says, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, um, <clears throat> you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, so, or in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. After giving us these instructions in chapter 3 concerning leadership, Paul now turns his attention to Timothy, gives him some practical pastoral instructions. And while this stuff is directed towards Timothy and these instructions for this young pastor about how he should pastor the church, that these, still, these things still, they, they apply to us. I, I think they apply to every believer who wants to live a life fully devoted to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to dive into chapter 4 together, and like we've been doing, if you'll just uh, join me, and, um, and if you're able, stand while we just read through. We're going to read through chapter 4, and then we'll dive into uh, to God's Word together. It starts out in verse 1 of First Tim- Timothy 4 and says this, the Spirit, which we just sang about, clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with, as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry, order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know, who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things 
out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That this is, that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which has been given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, we trust that it is true. We trust that this was given to us through your Holy Spirit and through those who you moved to write it. We thank you that we have it today and that it can guide us to live our lives in a way that you please are pleased with. Father, we thank you for this, um, this chapter and pray, Father, you would move in our hearts to not just hear it, but to live it out. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Paul begins with this prophetic word, um, telling Timothy, as well as us, I believe, to beware of false teaching. Beware. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this, the Spirit clearly says, so in other words, he says, hey, this is coming from the Spirit, right? It's clear. That in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? You know, when, when, when are the latter times? He says, in the latter times. Latter times, you need to understand, as a basic rule when you're reading through the New Testament, especially when it talks about latter times, it's really any time in between when you're reading this and when Jesus comes back, right? It's not just like, oh, when all the boxes start getting checked off of the things that you think have to happen before Jesus returns, right? No, you don't have to wait for any of that. It was really about like from the time that Jesus ascended until the time he returns. And so the latter times are just, hey, in this time, right, we call it, some people call it the church age, which we're just, we're living in now, you know, and did you know that you're one day closer to the return of Jesus, right? And I mean, that people, I, look, with all the things happening in the Middle East, and I hope that you are in prayer for all of that, um, with all those things happening, I got to, my phone has blown up the last week or so um, with people just asking like, is Jesus coming back? Is Jesus coming back? My answer to that question is always yes. Yes, Jesus is coming back. He promised he would, right? And then people want details like when, when's it going to happen? And, and I'm like, why? So you can start behaving now? Right? I mean, the reality is, is like, people say, is he coming soon? And I just say, I hope so. I say, you know, the, the very end of the book tells us this, that the, the people back then were praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And, and I hope that that is your prayer as well, because I can't wait to see him. Um, did, did you notice here that it also says, some will 
abandon the faith. It doesn't say some might, it says some will. There will be people that will abandon their faith. Uh, This was not the first time that Paul predicted the situation for the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31, he had warned the leaders of the church of Ephesus about this, that this was coming. He said this in Acts chapter 20. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. In order to draw away disciples after them, so be on your guard. This this is one of the most important things that we do is we we have to be on guard and we have to hold the sound doctrine. Did, Did you catch where some of these false teachers would come from? He actually says in verse 30 that they'll come from within inside, from within inside the church. And years later, what Paul had warned was actually going on in the church of Ephesus. It was going on in a bunch of the other churches too, in Corinth and Philippi and Colossae, all these different places as these philosophical ideas and different religions were kind of eking their way in to the teaching of the church. So Paul tells Timothy, that there will be these deceiving spirits that come from demonic forces that cause people to abandon the faith. Yes, some will leave the faith. This word here for abandon comes from the word that, that eventually we get the word apostasy, which denotes a willful turning away and going after something else. And the world is trying to grab everybody's attention and help them, grab them away to some other form of teaching. Paul goes on in his description of where these false teachings come from in verses two and three. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with, as with a hot iron. It's like they've been carterized. They don't, they, they, you know, what happens, I mean, you carterize something and, and obviously today, I mean, that, that's a pretty precise practice back in the day. You know, if you were in battle and something happened and they, I mean, they would just take a hot iron and carterize something, right? So that the blood would stop and so that the nerve endings would be deadened so that the pain would eventually go away, right? I mean, so it's almost like, hey, they've been numbed, they've been deadened, okay? There's no life flow in that anymore. And they, they've just, their consciences have been seared, it tells us, just like, it, just like being carterized. And then it says they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Folks, Paul writes, uh, when Paul writes this, the church is very young. The church is like, at the, the, the whole church is only about 20 years old. Church in Ephesus is, is a lot younger than that. And so the church is pretty young and already they're being attacked by these demonic forces and these hypocritical liars. The, the, the devil wants to just throw in little pieces, you know, little pieces of, of falsehood, little pieces of heresy, hoping that we're just going to grab onto those things. And folks, the church has and always will be at war with the forces of evil in the world. And the false teachings will always threaten to deceive people away from faith in Jesus. And one of his favorite things to do is throw the little things in there that divide the church and get us arguing about crazy, crazy things. There's always has been, always will be some form of whacked out false teaching that will lure people away from truth. Some of them are just downright crazy. A couple, I, I, so I, I just, I went online and I was, I was just looking up. I mean, some of you know like bigger cults and bigger things, but the, today there's some really weird things that are out there in the name of faith and religion. 
Um, there's one, it's called um, realism, and it's, it, it, here, here's what they believe. They believe um, that humans were created by aliens, that those aliens were called the Elohim. That should be a familiar word to you. These Elohim are not gods, but aliens with advanced intelligence. The, the Elohim, they have, they have sent 40 different hybrid humans, they call them, to earth as what they call providers of wisdom. Among them are Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and this guy, Rael, right, who is a French journalist who leads the movement. They teach that if we can all attain world peace, <laughs> how's that going, right? If we can all attain world peace, that the Elohim will come back, bring their advanced intelligence, and bring in an age of utopia here on earth. So... They're anti-government, they practice all kinds of meditation, and they're into sexual experimentation. I'm like, how did that one get thrown in there, right? There's another weird one called the Freedomites, okay? The Freedomites. Um, this one started up in Canada, and it preaches freedom from all, any and all restraint. Um, their main practices are communal living. You got, got to check this out. Their main practices are communal living, nudity, and anarchy, and I'm like, how do those last two like combine? You know, you're just like, what? <laughs> you know, they, they've been, they, they've actually been looked at because they've like, literally they've like blown up buildings. And I'm like, that's, that's crazy, especially when they're running around nude. I'm like, what in the world's going on with these people? Like, they're easy to identify, I guess, as they're running away. I, I don't know. But <clears throat> again, there's always, there will always be really whacked out stuff. But there's also always going to be subtle things, subtle ways that heresy and false teaching enter the church. And I think that's, that's what Paul is talking about. He's a, you really got to be careful that we stay rooted in the gospel and we don't fall for these little things that take us away from that. Some of the false teachings during Timothy's day in Ephesus, we find out in, in verse 3, he says they forbid people to marry and they ordered them from a, to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, it's interesting, he says that, that, it's, that this is the wrong thing to forbid people to be married. I, I'm not, I, I was just thinking this week, I don't know what the Catholic Church does with that because they forbid, obviously, their, their priests to be married. Um, and then, and they order them to abstain from certain foods. I mean, there, so there were, there were these philo Greek philosophers at this time who, who taught a very interesting form of religion where they basically said that the soul came, w w was resided in the realm of thought, right? It's like you can't see it. It's just, it's there. You know it's there. It's the realm of thought, and that's where your soul resides. And then there was the, the body that resides in the realm of substance, and these things are always kind of like battling together. And the only way to nurture the soul or to get the soul and the body to connect was to deny or even abuse the body to open it up for, for spiritual, you know, for spiritual meaning, right? And, and that was a big thing in this day. Um, out of this came all kinds of very strange ascetic practices in this day. When, when we got to travel there, a few years back in 2019, um, we, we went to, this place is just out of Philippi, um, and, and it's really, it looks amazing, right? It's this like gigantic monastery place up on top of these cliffs, super beautiful, pretty amazing place. I know the picture's not the greatest, it's hard to see. On the side of this cliff, there's a bunch of caves, and what they would do is they, they, these, the, these certain like monastic and ascetic movements in that day 
they would make people like take all these interesting vows, right? That they, that they would, you know, obviously we know some of them like silence and that they wouldn't marry and all these other things. And, and basically what they would do is they would take these vows and, and to prove that they were serious about this, the, the people would lower these people down the cliffs with like ropes and put them in a cave. And then every day, they would send down like a little bucket with like maybe a teeny, teeny bit of food or some water, to, you know, just barely enough to keep them alive. And they would stay in there, and, and some of them for months, even some for years at a time. And um, when we were there, the guide even told us that at one point there was like a, um, there was a, a, a cemetery at the bottom because there are all these people who, because of isolation and because of almost starvation, these people go crazy and they would just jump out of the caves, right? But this was like, this was common practice in these days, right? They're like, hey, no, and, and we've got to be careful because there's all kinds of people that, that, that want people to act in very extreme ways, I mean, you know something is a cult, right? When they start to take control of your life and they tell you, like, what you, you know, you can't eat that, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't, you know, it's like, you, you know that there are issues, right? Um, and, and Paul goes back and he says, because God made all of this, and so we're supposed to rejoice in life, we're supposed to rejoice in all these things. Like those dietary laws, um, there were these, at the time in Ephesus, there was all these different, they were called guilds that you would belong to, and certain guilds would say, you can only belong to us as long as you don't eat you know, this kind of thing, or as long as you don't drink this kind of thing, and all these different things. And so they were, you know, and, and, and what would happen is the Christians, because that was connected to their business, they would start buying into these things, right, because it was their livelihood. And they would start buying into these strange teachings, and they would get sucked in to all kinds of false teaching because of that. So the devil is sneaky, and he'll use anything to try to throw us off. And because there will always be false teaching, the church must always stand vigilant, making sure we hold on to sound doctrine built on biblical truth. That is, that is what we need to be about. One thing I see happening today, <clears throat> I was thinking a lot about this this last week, and, and I, I just call them, there's, there's a lot of what I would call the isms, right? There's like legalism, right? Where, where uh, there's all kinds of rules, you, you know, you get in with, with some, there's all these rules that you have to follow. If you don't follow them perfectly, right, then you're done, right? Then you're out, right? Or you're, you're, you're not really a believer or something like that, whatever that thing is. So there's legalism. Beware of legalism. Jesus preached all the time against legalism, right? There's also emotionalism. I think this is a huge one today, that, that, that a lot of people, um, what they believe, they believe because they're, because of their emotions. They, they basically, it's like how I feel or what my experiences have been trump what is in scripture. They, they, they try to, they try to move scripture to validate their feelings or their experiences. And, and that is completely backwards. Um, moralism is another one. I'm a good person. And, and, and at least compared to the others, right, we walk around like, okay, I'm not as bad as that person, so I'm probably okay, right? And folks, we just need to remember this. Heaven is not going to be filled with good people, right? I hope you're going to be there, right? But we're all sinners, right? Heaven's not going to be filled with good people. Heaven is going to be filled with forgiven people, right, who are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And, and that's really what that's all about. 
And then there's relativism, right? That, that is huge in our culture today, relativism, right? It's where everyone gets to create their own truth and, and don't, don't tell anybody that their truth, you know, don't, don't tell them that, that it's wrong or it's messed up. And you certainly don't try to like show them in the Bible where it's wrong, right? Because they'll just read, oh, that's your truth, that's your truth, right? That's a world that we live in. The problem that we've had most recently, the way, the way I'm seeing it is this, is that people, always, people want to read the Bible, through their lens, right? It's, it's like they have, everybody's got this lens and they want to read the Bible right through their lens. They, they, for some people, it's a political lens, right? And they say, well, because of, because of my politics, I have, the Bible needs to say this. Or maybe it's a cultural lens because this is what is happening in culture, right? Then, then we have to read the Bible through that, right? And, and it actually should be just the opposite is we should be reading the Bible and then that informs our politics, that informs our cultural views, that informs everything else in our lives and how we live. The Bible, just remember that the Bible is always first. Don't make up your idea and then go to the Bible. Go to the Bible first, let it inform your ideas. If you have emotions, which we all do, experiences, which we all do, you want to go to the Bible and say, hey, how do I understand these in light of what the Bible says? Right, The Bible always comes first. It is the ultimate litmus test, and it's always our true north. We always go back to the Bible. And in verses 4 and 5, Paul reinforces, he says, everything God gives is good, so you know, don't listen to people who says, you know, okay, you can't eat this, and you can't do that, you know, and hey, you can't get married, and all these things. It's like, hey, God has given these things. I think it's interesting, right? Don't, don't I mean... Don't listen to people who are messing with things that God established, like marriage, and where Jesus actually in Mark chapter 7, verses 15 to 19, and I think we'll just skip by this one, but Jesus basically declares all food clean, right? Before that, you remember all the things, and we need to remember too, a lot of the people Paul's talking to, um, some of them were Jewish converts, and so they're trying to like pull in all their old food laws into Christianity. And Paul's saying, like, no, remember Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to live by the law any longer, right? So legalism's out. Jesus is in, right? And so I think that's really, really important for us. Now, having said that, just because Jesus frees us up doesn't give us license to do whatever we want, but he reminds us that legalism is not the path to Jesus, and Paul then reinforces Timothy's role in protecting the church from all this false teaching. In verses 6 and 7, he says, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nursed in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Right? Now, godless myths. Um, this, time, this day and age, lots of godless myths. Mythology, huge, Right? Both the Greeks and the Romans had, you, you maybe studied some of their mythology stuff, you know, they had all these gods and goddesses and these pantheons, and then depending on who was in power at the time, they tried to mix all those and say which god was in charge, it was just kind of crazy. They had all these weird beliefs uh, around the whole god and goddess worship, right? And, and Paul comes in and he says that, that, that stuff is godless, okay, that's not, those are not the real gods, there's one true god. Right? And then he says, and then these old wives' tales. And you, you guys know what those are, right? I mean, I, I, I think you know what they are. Right? I mean, there's a lot of them that have been passed down from generation to generation. Like, feed a cold and starve Right? Yeah, you, yeah, you guys know. Okay. You, you have to wait 30 minutes before you, after you eat before you can. 
Okay, eating carrots will improve your coffee will stunt your if you cross your eyes when there's an earthquake, what will happen to your eyes? They'll stay that way. Do you know that none of those is true? Sorry, your parents lied to you, right? None of that's true. But try this one out, you know. I mean, so Paul's saying, hey, Paul's saying, stop, stop spending so much time talking about all this stuff that doesn't matter, and most of it's not even true. Like we said in week one, we talk way too much about the things that don't matter and not enough time talking about the things that do. So let's try this one. If you confess with your... Oh, okay, good. That Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your... That God raised him from the dead, you'll be... Good, you guys did great, right? Because the reality is this. Do, do you know all those old wives' tales better than you know God's word? I mean... Where do you stand in really knowing and absorbing God's word into your life so that you can combat all the crazy in the world? Because you don't combat it, right? You don't combat it with just like worldly wisdom. The Bible says, as he's telling us about the, the um, armor of God, that we have one offensive weapon, and it is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Right, And the word of God needs to be in us so that we can combat all of these things that the world will throw at us. And then Paul, he shifts, he totally shifts gears in the middle of verse 7. And he says this, he instructs uh, Timothy, he says in verse 7, have nothing to do with the godless myths or old wives' tales. And then there's this big word, rather. And it's a big shift in the, in the thing. You got to remember when this was first written, there weren't chapters and verses, there weren't all these things. That little word, rather, is a major shift in what he's doing in this chapter. And he says this, he says, rather, Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this life, the present life, and the life to come. And then, as Devin was telling us earlier, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. So here's, the, here's the, the, the second big thing. Train yourself to be godly. This is, this is the command that, um, that Paul gives Timothy. Um, I, I love in, um, uh, an author that I, I've always really liked is a guy named John Ortberg. He's a pastor, and he has a really great book. This was life-changing for me years ago. It's a book called The Life You've Always Wanted. Um, I, I, just, I would just highly recommend it. Um, it's a lot about the uh, tagline is spiritual disciplines for ordinary people, right? And he says this, he says, there's an immense difference between trying to do something and training to do something. How many of you know that that is absolutely true? Chapter three in this book is worth the book, right? It, it's, it's amazing. Because Orberg is basically saying this, he says, for, he's saying there's this huge difference, right? And most of us are trying most of the time when we need to be training. For example, if I said, hey, Let's all go run a 5K this afternoon. Now, there's a few of you who, who would kill it. I, I know some of you, right? That you, you guys might just kill it, okay? Most of you that are gonna kill it are because you have already done some training, right? For those of you who have not been running for the last six months or more, if I say, let's go out right now and run a 5K, okay, you are like, no, because I will die, right? And that's always rule number one, nobody dies. So, um, so it's like, hey, we, so you need, if you're going to run a 5K, 
okay, which is kind of fun. I'm, I'm working on this right now. I've done it before, and I'm doing it again um, because I have all these grandkids i got to keep up with, um, and it's, it's good and it's healthy for me. And so um, trying, you know, um, trying depends on my own strength. I, I could go out and try right now. I, I could probably go run a 5K right now because I've been doing some training. But if you told me to do a 10K, um, I'm going to die, right? Um, if, if, you, if you tell me to do a half marathon, then Devin's going to scoop me up on his way back in, right? And say, somehow Ken died, right? So I uh, can't do it because I haven't trained for that. And, and, and it's huge. <clears throat> Trying depends on my strength, my energy, what I can do. Training, on the other hand, is following a prescribed plan in order to help me grow in my ability to do what I cannot do right now. And as that goes in terms of our spiritual lives and our walk of following Jesus, it means that we do particular things to train ourselves for godliness, to train ourselves to become more and more like Jesus. And if you're going to do that, <clears throat> Jesus is the one that's going to give you the training model for that. In order, so, so, you know, we're, we're, there's some of us here at church who are doing the 5K, and, and so... Um, and, and so I need lots of help to make that happen. And so the first thing that you have to do in order to train well is the first thing you need is a goal. Now, now one of the things that's really important is this, is even in spiritual training, like, what's the goal, right? For me, the goal in, in the running thing is, like, cross the finish line at the 5K and still be standing. Okay, it's, it's a goal, right? And um, so I work at that and and... So the goal, the goal for training in godliness, okay, is to become more and more like Jesus, right? It, it's to model my life after Jesus. That's, that's really the goal, right? And, and I do that, like the verse said, okay, because I already have hope in him and I want to follow him. Because I have relationship with him, I want to allow him to do what only he can do in my life. <clears throat> now, so I need a goal, um, and then I need a plan. Now, I love it. it, it um, this Run for God thing, we have this cool little app, and it is my plan. Um, I don't have to think. I just have to do what it says. So I open up my app, and I go to the day that I'm on, and I just hit go, and this little voice comes out, and it says, walk, and I walk, right? <laughs> that part's easy. And then after a five-minute walk of warming up, right, then all of a sudden this bell rings and the voice comes back and says, run, right? And I run. I just, I do it. I, I run. And I just, I run. And then after a little while, um, it, it, it dings again and it says, walk, right? And then, and then I walk a little bit. Oh, thanks. My, I know my voice is kind of scratchy today. Sorry. Um, and so I walk a little bit. And then it says run, and I do that. And my favorite part, as some of the guys know, my favorite part is there's one at the very end that says last run coming up. And that is like life to me. Because <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm not dead yet. I can, if I can survive one more, then I've done my training for today, right? But it's a plan. It's a plan. And in, 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 in the whole idea of um, training to be godly, the plan is discipleship. Right? The plan is discipleship, which means I have a plan where I am 
looking at Jesus, I'm in his word, and I'm doing the things that he is asking me to do. You happy now? Okay, so, <clears throat> so I need to have a plan. And, and then I need partners. This is where community is so vital. We, we, I know, we say this all the time, you need community, you need community. I, um, when it comes to running, I know that I would probably fail at this, except for I have a few guys in the room right now who, who keep pushing me, who keep, you know, when I finish a run, I, I take a snapshot and I send it to them. I'm like, look, I, I'm still alive. And they, and I send it and, and we, we joke about it. We send it. Um, uh, I love, like one of the sayings, I love this one in our little, uh, run group is, um, is, uh, we, um, start off slow and ease off. Right, but it's like, hey, but hey, it, but we survive, right? And and I get through it, and 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 I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Some days are hard. Uh, you you have no, so many days. I just don't want to do it. You know, I am not telling you that this being transformed into the image of Jesus thing is going to be simple. There's a lot of stuff in that that's hard, right? And, and like Devin mentioned this morning, we're not doing this to earn salvation. We, all, we have that gift. I mean, you have it. I was thinking about this, and I thought in, in spiritual terms, it's like our salvation is like God, like our gift is like we got these awesome running shoes, right? You already have them. Now you got to use them. God's already given you salvation. God's already given you the gift of eternal life. Now what are you going to do about it? I, I mean, are you just kind of like putting it on the shelf? right there on top of your dusty Bible and saying, okay, you know, I can't wait till he comes back. Or are we training ourselves for godliness? We're training ourselves for godliness. And, and folks, this is, this is huge. There's, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a, a, a quote um, that, that I love from a book that I, I finished reading just a while back. Um, called The Deeply Formed Life by a guy named Rich um, Velatus, and it says this, Christianity in the Western world is often marginalized as a life accessory rather than the means of powerful life transformation. Powerful life transformation. Is your life being transformed? Are, are, you, are, are you loving God and others more? That, that was the command of Christ. Are you loving God and loving others more? Okay. Or, or are you stuck somewhere? And the encouragement is, hey, get, in, get the training going. Get the training going. There's lots of ways that you can do that. I, I encourage you, you need to do it in community. For those of you who, who aren't sure what to do, man, that's why we have things like Rooted. That's why we have life groups. So you can get in with a group of people and you can start to say, hey, these are the things that I need to do. And they're so important. So many of us are trying to be good Christians. I mean, look at you. You're in church right now. You know, that, which is wonderful. That in and of itself can be a spiritual discipline right? As long as you're not thinking, okay, I did my thing, and now I can go home, and I'm all good, right? That, that's not the way this works, because are you disciplined about your church going, or is it just like some habit that you've gotten into, and you, you, you know, you're not even sure what you're getting out of it, or what you're putting into it, right? We need to train ourselves into how we do this thing called church. Now, if attending church for a couple hours 
on a Sunday is the extent of your spiritual training, then I need to give you, as a pastor, a little bit of truth and love. You are not in very good spiritual shape. Right? If this is, what, if this is the extent of it for you, okay, then, then you're not training well. Right? It, 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 what you're doing is, it's like, you have a gym membership and you walk into the gym every once in a while, watch other people work out and go home, right? Are you training yourself for godliness? Are you growing in your faith? What plan are you using? Who are the people around you? Okay, this is why we keep talking about this stuff because this is vital. Because if you're not training yourself, you are setting yourself up to be grabbed by all this other crazy teaching. So you might ask, so how do I train for this? I'm glad you asked. I remember when I was in Bible college, we had these great professors, right? And I remember this one guy, his name was Alger Fitch. We all looked up to him. He had the whole New Testament memorized and we, we talked to this guy and we're like, okay, Dr. Fitch, like if we're gonna be pastors and leaders in the church, like what, what, are, the, what, are, the, what are the things that we need to do? And we always thought he was gonna have some like really odd, like, oh, you gotta do, you know, all these big things and read these big theology books or whatever. You know what he would come back to every single time? You need to read your Bible every day and you need to pray. You need to read your Bible every day and you need to pray. And when we were cramming for our final exams um, or midterm tests, we would go to this little restaurant called Spires. And uh, at 4 a.m. every time, Dr. Fitch would walk in and he would order a bowl of oatmeal and a cup of coffee. And he would sit down and he would open up the word. And he'd be reading the word of God. And then you'd see him close the Bible, put his hand on top, and he would just spend time in prayer. This guy practiced what he preached. No wonder he had the New Testament memorized. Every single day, right? He's in the word. Folks, I mean, what are you doing to train yourselves to be godly? I'm blessed this year to be reading through the Bible with a group of guys. And, and it's amazing. I always learn something new when I'm reading through the Bible. But you know what my greatest joy is this year? I'm watching the Bible transform six guys, right? And, and the six guys, you know, they know. They know. Some of them are in this room, and they know. And I've been watching God transform them, that God is building, building godliness in their lives, and I think every one of them would tell you, man, I am way further down the road than I've ever been before because I'm in God's word every single day. And we're praying for each other. We're encouraging each other. And, we're, and, and everybody's going to make it through, right? And here's the thing. The goal isn't just making it through the Bible. The Bible is making sure that, the, that the God's word works through us. And that's the key. And so God is doing some pretty amazing things as we read through the Bible and pray. So if you're not in a group of people that are doing that, man, you got to do that or, or, or you're just not training well, right? Let me suggest again that training has to be done in community. And there are disciplines that we have to have, like reading the Bible and stuff. Another quote out of this book by John Ortberg that I love, it says this, to follow Jesus means learning to arrange my life around those practices that will enable me to stay connected to him and live more and more like him. In short, 
It is just another way of defining a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline is any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. That, we, that's keeping our eyes on the prize, folks. It goes on in verse 10 here and says, this is why we labor and strive, right? And it's because we already have this hope. And we not only want to have this hope, we want to share the hope. And so we've got to train ourselves for that. We don't want to get to the end of this game and like Paul says, be disqualified because we weren't training well. Jesus, and then it goes on and says, Jesus is the savior of all people. Now, this doesn't mean that all people will be saved. It just means that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to save everyone. Okay, he, 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 bl- he bled on the cross to save everyone, right? That's why John three sixteen. the first part of the verse says, for God so loved the world, yeah, that's everybody, that he gave his only son, right? But then while his sacrifice, while, while his sacrifice was sufficient, it's only applied to the people who believe it. In John three sixteen, the second part of that verse, it says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have an eternal life. You, you, you don't, there's no, you have to believe in that and that belief should drive us to action because of what God's done for us. Timothy goes on, Paul goes on in 1 Timothy 4 and in verse 11 he says this, command and teach these things. Don't let any of you look down, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That, that was my verse, man, when, when, when I was a youth pastor. I, I preached this thing all the time, right? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I love having our young people around here, man, because they, they breathe life and they bring energy. But you have to understand, at this time, Timothy, Timothy was not a teenager. Timothy was more like probably 35 to 40 years old at this time. But the people were used to having Paul. And so they were like, okay, where's the old guy? right? And, and Paul's saying, like, don't, don't, don't get intimidated by all that. You know the truth. If you're training yourself for godliness, then you should have confidence as you're proclaiming God's word. And then he says, the, the best thing to do is make sure you're living it so that you're, they see the example. They see how God's word is impacting your life, and then they're open to what you're saying. And so he says, here's a, here's a kind of quiz. I, I'd encourage all of you to take this little quiz from verse, um, uh, verse 12. And it says, um, be an example Okay, and he says, in speech, how's your speech? How are the words that you say? You know, do, do people detect anger, bitterness, all those things? Or, or, or when you use your words, do you build people up? How's your speech? Set an example in conduct, right? You guys all behave yourself really pretty nice in church, right? But how about the freeway? This is where the devil gets me every time, right? I got to work at that, work at that. I got to keep reminding myself, like, no, I got, you know. Um, what about at work? What about at home? What about all these places? Like, uh, how's your conduct? How about love? Again, like I said, are you loving people more? Are you loving God more? How about faith? Are you deeply growing in your faith? Uh, uh, like, do you set an example for people and how you're growing in your faith? Like, if you were encouraging somebody to grow in their faith, would you, would you be able to say like Paul does, hey, do what I do? Or do you have to go look somewhere else? 
Are you, are you growing in your faith? What about purity? Are, are you keeping your life pure from all kinds of stuff? I would say the number one place that we have to battle that in our day and age for a lot of people is social media, right? And, and yes, there's things like pornography and everything else, but what about all the angst and vitriol that gets shared there? What about, like, it, how is it affecting you emotionally? I mean, are, are, are you staying pure from all of the crazy that's out there? Are you saying, that's just, that's just world stuff. I, I, I need to spend more time. I need to spend more time in God's word than in all that junk. Like I've said before, if you're spending more time in Facebook than your face is in the good book, something's wrong. You're out of balance. You're not training well. He goes on and he says this in verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. That's why we do that, because Paul said, hey, we need to devote ourselves to it. God's word is powerful, right? And to preaching and teaching. We continue to do that. And then he says, do not neglect your gift. And this is the last thing. I'm just gonna close with this really, really quick. He says, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy in the body, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ has a gift, a spiritual gift, right? It's not just, some of you have nice natural talents and that's awesome, but you all have a spiritual gift. The question is this, are you using it? Do you know what it is? First Corinthians 12, seven says this, now to each one, a manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. You, you guys are, the spirit is life. The spirit originally in the Old Testament, the word ruah was the breath that gave life. And pneuma in the New Testament is, is basically the same word. It is the power for life. So here's the deal. If you, if you aren't using your spiritual gift to help build up the body, to bless the body, if you're not using your spiritual gift, then you're not living fully. And you're stealing life from the church. That's why using your gift is so important. So here's the question. Are you neglecting your gift? Do you even know what your gift is, right? Um, if you don't, um, I, I'm gonna throw up on the screen, there's a, there's a little QR code. I think it might be up there, yeah. Um, you, you can take a picture of that. It's on your notes if you've got one of the little note things. Um, and, or you can just go to spiritualgiftstest.com, right? But here's the thing. Don't just take the gifts test and go, oh, I thought so, or oh, that's nice to know right? It's, no, you got to take that, take that to your life group, take that to somebody who is a friend, who's a trusted Christian friend, and say, hey, this is my gift. I want you to hold me accountable for using it, right? Because we all need to do it. There's some scriptures that I gave you on the handout that show you where to find the list of gifts. If you have no idea or you're kind of stuck in all this, I, I just encourage you, sign up, you know, grab one of the blue cards, go to the gazebo after church and sign up to go to be in Rooted. Because in Rooted, we will help you discover what your gift is and discover, help you discover how you use your gift. Because here's the thing as your pastor, I, I don't want you to miss out. If you're not using your gift, man, you are not living life to the fullest the way God intended you to. And the kingdom is missing out if you're not using your gift. And if you're only using it elsewhere, man, the kingdom is missing out. Paul ends by saying, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone can see your progress. 
Do you know, if everyone discovered their gift and started using it, we, we would, six months from now, we would not be the same church. God would do incredible things that we can't even imagine or dream about if that happened. And he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Be very careful to hold on to sound doctrine and persevere in it. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Jesus came to give us life. When we were stuck in sin, Jesus came to bring life to us. And that's why we celebrate each week here, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because we're reminded that Jesus came to bring us life. He, He came to take us from death into life. And some of us are really, we're kind of walking around like half alive in Christ and we want to encourage you, train yourselves to be godly. Don't neglect your gift. Beware of the false things that grab you away from being the church that stays on focus. And our focus is Jesus. And he gave his life for us. So, um, so let's, um, together, we're, we're going to take this little piece of bread that represents Jesus' broken body. So let's take that together. And then there's the cup that represents Jesus' shed blood with which he cleanses us of our sins. So let's take the cup together. And if you want to talk more about how we, uh, how we can get you plugged in and training uh, for godliness, I'm going to ask our, our elders to come up here at the, at the end of the service, and we'd love to talk to you more about that um, and, uh, and, and get you on that path to help you grow. So um, let's pray, and, um, and then after we pray, just hold on. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for eternal life in Christ. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit that brings and breathes that life and power into us. Father, we pray as your people that you would help us as we work to train to be godly. We love you and praise you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.